Amen. You may be seated. And I invite you to turn this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 16 through chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Last week I mentioned uh, that the letters of the New Testament are not systematic theologies. They are not philosophical essays. They're pastoral letters written by real Christians to real Christians about how to follow and be faithful to the resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus in real life, in real churches, with real problems, in real time. Uh, But when we read these letters like their systematic theologies, we end up missing the emotional, human elements of these letters, uh, which causes us then to miss out on God's own amazing knowledge of what it means to be human in a fallen world. Uh, We miss our God's profound understanding of the emotional and relational complexity of our life with Jesus. And thus we miss out on the way that Jesus is with us, for us, helping us, chastising us, forgiving us, guiding us, and renewing us in this world, in the real world as it is right now today. And I say all of that because our passage this morning will not make any sense if we read it as anything other than the Apostle Paul and Pastor Timothy writing pastorally, honestly, emotionally about their own internal dialogue with exhaustion and hope that comes from serving Jesus. And I'm going to explain that. But for right now, what you're going to hear is Paul and Timothy talk about how they don't lose heart. They have good courage, but they want to be with Jesus. But they also want to serve him well until the end. It's like, I'm ready to be done, but I don't want to give up. And you'll see that what guides that internal dialogue is their decision to keep their eyes on the things Jesus gives us that are uh, unseen by human eyes, but that the eye of faith can, with practice, look at quite clearly. The the things that Jesus is doing now and the things that we will receive from him in glory are the things that Paul and Timothy learned to look at. And we're going to talk about that too. Um, Maybe though already this dialogue sounds familiar to you. Uh, Maybe it doesn't. But I promise you, if you follow Christ, one day this dialogue will be familiar to you. And that's another beautiful part of the pastoral letters. God wrote them in such a way that they help the original audience and they also help us because God was not just writing to the original audience. He's writing to us too. I like how one Old Testament scholar put it. I love this so much. He says, when we read the New Testament, we are not reading someone else's mail, right? God, we're not peeking in on the letters God wrote, you know, 2,000 years ago. Like, oh man, that was neat. God said that to them. God includes us. As the author of the letter, God includes us as the audience he was writing to. This is for us too. And so let's hear God's word from 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 5, 10. We'll pray, then we'll reflect on it by looking at it three points this morning. They're on the board. I know they're on the screen. Uh, so let's look at uh, first, 2 Corinthians excuse me, 4, 16, verses 5 through 10. Let's hear God's word. Uh, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction 
is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or ill. Grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word which you have written and preserved and inspired as a word of instruction for us so that we might learn how to keep our eyes on the things that are not seen that are eternal. Father, we pray that you would help us to do that this morning by uh, writing your word on our hearts. Father, give us ears to hear your word, minds to understand your word, hearts to believe your word. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher and the meditation of all our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word, may it all be pleasing now in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The first thing we're going to look at this morning is facing the toll of carrying the death of Jesus in our bodies. Uh, In verse 16 of chapter 4, Paul begins by saying, So we do not lose heart. He said that before at the beginning of chapter 4. And as a reminder, the point of chapter 4 from verse 1 and carrying on through our passage this morning is that Jesus has given us as his people a ministry. And I should probably say this, the word ministry just means service. Ministry means the things Jesus has given you to do to serve him and other people in his name. And in chapter 4, the ministry that Jesus has given to us is the profound blessing of showing Jesus to each other through our faith-shaped acts of kindness and mercy and righteousness and verbal witness-bearing. And we talked about this last week, right? If you, but if you weren't here, you want a reminder, you can actually find that sermon on uh, our, through our website on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Uh, but if you were here, maybe you'll remember that this ministry, this way of giving Jesus to each other is described as carrying the death of Jesus in our bodies, laying down our rights, absorbing slights, which I think today are called microaggressions, you know, just little painful words that we say to each other, forgiving sins, confessing our failures, striving for reconciliation and holiness, enduring loss, so that others can have gain 
you know, the things that Jesus did when he died for us. That is why Paul described this as carrying around the death of Jesus in our lives as we express it through these kinds of words and actions. And then through that, the resurrected life of Christ arrives, we saw, in the lives of those around us and in us too. And that's summarized all for us so well in verses 11 through 12 of chapter 4, where Paul reads, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested or revealed in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 4, we don't lose heart, meaning we don't give up on this ministry. And then he says in verse 16, the same thing. We don't lose heart. But I think you can feel that there's a shift in emphasis and emotion between these two verses. In verse 1, it reads to me more like a church planter who's confident that this ministry will bear fruit and be successful, and he's sort of rallying everyone behind him in Jesus' promises. Like, guys, we're not going to give up. We can do this. It's going to be great. We're going to see Jesus' work as we sacrifice ourselves for each other in his name. And, and I think all ministries start off this way, or at least if they're healthy, they should start off this way. Uh, and, and that isn't just true of what we think of as church ministries. Again, if you think of ministry the way the Bible does, which is the things Jesus gives you to do to honor him and show him to others, then I think the ministry of friendship starts this way. The ministry of marriage, the ministry of parenting, of caring for your aging parents, the ministry of being a good brother or sister, of being a good citizen, of being a good neighbor, they all start with a high degree of confidence and expectation and joy in Jesus and in our ability to give Jesus to each other, don't they? Because we're fresh, we're excited, we're ready to go. But the reality is, ministering Jesus, that is giving Jesus to others, means bearing the death of Jesus in our bodies. And that takes a toll, doesn't it? which is what I make, think makes the second we do not lose heart in verse 16 so much more profound to me. Because here I think we see Paul and Timothy, but I think primarily Paul, reflecting on the impact this life of ministry, this life of bearing the death of Christ has had in him. Verse 16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now, don't read this sentence as an abstract theological thesis. Because if you do that, you'll miss the point. Uh, by outer self, Paul means our human bodies. And by inner self, Paul means our soul, which is being prepared to inhabit our resurrected, glorified bodies. Paul doesn't talk about our outer self wasting away as just some sort of poetic reflection on the common human condition. So in the Roman world... If you made it past childbirth and early childhood diseases and you weren't a slave, you tended to live till about the age of 50. And it wouldn't be our age, 50, right? Good nutrition in the ancient world is much harder to come by. A medical care for arthritis and joint pain, sight loss, hearing loss, they were not as advanced. In fact, in some cases, they were non-existent. 
They didn't have drugs for anxiety and depression, which do tend to afflict people who are older, particularly anxiety. They didn't really even have effective painkillers. And so just think about walking around at an older age in constant pain without any relief and the toll that takes on your body. And life was just harder on the body back then. You walked everywhere. You were exposed to rain and wind and sun much more frequently and humidity. Imagine being like you know, the last couple weeks, super humid, super hot. There's no air conditioning. You just endured it. Uh, and then there, of course, was no retirement and no safety net. So you worked until you couldn't. You had to work in it, even if it was bad for your health, even if it was breaking you down. So you can see why 50 tended to be the end. It's just what the body could take. From reading the book of Acts and paying close attention to what Paul says in the letter and from some other pastoral epistles, we know that Paul was probably in his early to mid-50s when he wrote this letter. We know he had a body that was physically punished by stonings, nearly to death, shipwrecks, and sicknesses for Christ. You know, I think we have a picture of, you know, Paul getting stoned and standing up and sloughing it off and walking away. He limped away. Bones would have been broken. We know that Paul had anxiety and worry over the church. He tells us that in 2 Corinthians. Think of the effect that anxiety has on you physically and of worry. We know he had all kinds of relational conflicts. Think of the toll that relational conflicts have on you. You know how when presidents go into office and they look pretty healthy and then they come out at the end, it looks like someone just beat them up, right? That's just four years. Paul became a follower of Jesus around the age 27 to 30. So he's been doing this for about 25 years or so. And we also know uh, that Paul writes us as he's on his way to Jerusalem to deliver diaconalade to the starving and that he fully expects to die after he delivers this diaconalade. In the book of Acts, we, uh, we hear about his visit to the Ephesian church, which he would have visited just after Corinth because Ephesus was closer to Jerusalem. And we get to drop in and, and on this visit and hear Paul and the Ephesian elders cry and hold each other because they believed correctly that this would be the last time they would see Paul. And, and by the way, uh, after that visit, it will be about four years and then he will die for being a follower of Christ. Uh, now, some of that Paul couldn't know yet, right? He didn't know that four years later he was going to die. But he certainly knows what it's like to be a follower of Jesus for 25 years. He knows what it's like to carry around the death of Jesus by showing Jesus to the saints for 25 years. He knows the age of his body. He feels the aches and pains. He knows he's lived a long time, right? Nobody, People aren't stupid. You know when you get to a certain age, you're like, well, I'm near the end. 50 was near the end. He feels the weakness, and he clearly knows that all of these things that he's experiencing in his body have been made worse because of the things he suffered for Jesus. He, is the, he has the 50-year-old body he has because of the stonings and the shipwrecks and the beatings and the anxiety and the worry. Some of you are where Paul was. I know a bunch of you are over 50, uh, but like Paul, you're maybe feeling your age, and you know the end of your life is closer than the beginning, like Paul does as he's writing this letter. You can feel the toll 
that serving Jesus has taken on your body. And some of you, well, not exactly where Paul was, do know something of this hardship, not because of your age, but because living for Jesus is hard. It's hard to forgive and sacrifice and be merciful. It's hard to fight temptation and to practice righteousness. Like we heard Paul say last week in the passage just before we read this morning, we're afflicted, perplexed, and persecuted. And even though we're not undone by those things because Jesus is with us, they're still hard. That's why Paul says it's affliction, perplexity, and persecution, and not like cuddly hugs and warm drinks and nice long naps, right? Following Jesus is hard. It takes a toll. And that's what makes his statement in verses 16 to 17 so profound to me. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul faces the toll serving Jesus has taken on him. And he says, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up on Jesus. And I'm not giving up on giving you Jesus. Even while my body is wasting away, I will minister Jesus to you. And I will serve my master. Why? Well, because as he says, our inner self is being renewed. Right? There's glory coming, which is really uh, Paul saying that he's learned to practice his statement at the end of verses 17 and 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, verse 17, end of verse 17, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In following Jesus, Paul has learned something that we all need to learn. So the word look means more like stare. It doesn't mean glance. It doesn't mean give him the side eye. It doesn't mean acknowledge something's existence and move on, right? Like we do with it. Hey, look at this. Oh yeah, that's nice. It means to stare. It means to focus your intention intently on it. Paul has learned how to stare with the eye of faith at Jesus' presence and his promise in his life and in the life of those around him. Paul has learned to look through the tears in his eyes and see the things that Jesus is doing, the things that Jesus is giving, the things that Jesus will give. And in staring at those things, he's learned how much greater they are than the real suffering and the real exhaustion that he is experiencing. And by intentionally staring at them over the last 25 years of following Christ, Paul has learned that the things Jesus are giving truly are so great that we cannot compare them to the glory of the things that we endure to minister Jesus to each other. That point got a little long. Uh, let's move on quickly to our next two points because I, I want to look at the glories of Jesus that Paul has seen and he's learned to stare at. I want to, So I want to start with the things that Jesus has promised to give us. And uh, for that, we're going to jump to chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. So one of the things Paul has learned to stare at is Jesus' promise of resurrection glory. Let's read verses 2 through 4 again. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, 
being burdened. Uh, Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So what Paul has learned to stare at, he tells us, is Jesus' promise to give us a heavenly dwelling that will completely wipe away death. And I love how he puts it. It will swallow our mortality, and kids, mortality means the ability to die, with life so that we will never die again. Now quickly, I think it's very interesting to ask what exactly Paul means by our heavenly dwelling. Now, obviously, one thing Paul means is our resurrected bodies, right? And that's important. If you're going to bear the marks of Jesus in our bodies, like Paul will describe himself doing later in 2 Corinthians, I was shipwrecked this many times and stoned this many times and beaten and whipped. And if, if you're going to suffer for righteousness' sake, if you're going to suffer for forgiveness' sake and make multiple visits to the same church and have the same conversations over again and write letters and pray for them and work to help people be reconciled and restored, if we're going to move our achy bodies one more time so that we can serve people in Jesus' name one more time, we need to know that this body will be replaced with a new one. That to spend and be spent in the service of the Lord is not a loss, but is merely uh, a, a way to pursue the ultimate gain of eternal bodily life with Christ. We need to know that Jesus will replace our body with one like Jesus' own resurrected body, a body that will not age, excuse me, that will age, but will not grow old. A body that will not break down or get sick or cut or have creaks and cracks, a body that doesn't grow weary, a body that will be able to embrace our loved ones and each other forever, a body that will allow us to walk with Jesus next to him, not by faith, but by sight, a body that will be able to hear his voice, reply to him, and see his joy in having us with him forever and ever and ever. Paul stared at Jesus and his resurrection glory with the eye of faith. And he stared at the promise Jesus gave to him and to us that we will be like him. What's 25 years of on-again, off-again suffering compared to an eternity of walking in a body clothed with the very glory of God? That's part of what Paul means. But I don't think that's all that Paul means here at least not in these verses. As he goes on in verses 6 through 9, Paul totally just hones down, I think, very specifically and tightly on the resurrection of the body. But in verses 2 through 4, I wonder if he doesn't also mean to describe our glorified life together. So remember the context is his life with the Corinthian church, which has been super hard, right? Super difficult. And then here in in these verses, he talks about a tent, which is a reference to the tabernacle, which is where God lives and meets with his people. Now, in the Bible, God doesn't simply dwell in the hearts of each individual Christian. He does, but he does that because he dwells in the congregation of his people. Before God dwells in us as individuals, he dwells in us as a people, as a community, as a corporate 
entity. That's why Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. In my name. I don't know where that came from exactly, that accent, but there you go. I'm keeping you on your toes. Uh, God most often emphasizes that he dwells with us corporately. That's again why God made a huge tabernacle and had him build a huge temple so that his people together could be in his presence because that's where God dwells. And then he talks about the Spirit as a guarantee of God's promise to us. And I'm going to say more about this in the next point. But for now, let's remember that Jesus promises the Spirit to his people so that together, together, they will be empowered to live with Jesus together and serve him together. Uh, I decided I wanted to say something this morning to shock you uh, because I think that's fun. Uh, It's true. Uh, God's ultimate goal for us is not salvation. God's ultimate goal for us is the restoration of human community with him that is good and very good. It's the restoration of what was lost in the garden. Now, we need salvation to begin that restoration, right? We need to be saved and forgiven and made new. That's why it's so important. But salvation is not the end goal. It's the beginning of God's ultimate goal, which is godly, holy, peaceful life together. That's the Spirit's ministry. The Spirit's ministry is to bring about godly life together. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is not being saved, being saved, being saved, but it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, the things that you have to exhibit in community with each other and with Jesus. So all that to say, when Paul says, we groan in this tent, longing to put on life, I think he means the resurrected body. I think he also means that he longs for the day when their life together will not experience the effect of sin or death any longer. When they won't groan with the experience of a relational death in their congregation. When they won't bear the burden of emotional death. Where there won't be division and strife. Just as he longs for the day when they won't experience the separation brought about by physical death. I think, and I think that's very important, especially in the context of ministry. Paul has suffered with and for the Corinthians. He's learned to stare, and this is important. Tattoo this somewhere. He's learned not to stare at their problems. He's not learned to stare at them as the source of his pain. This is your fault that I have this, you know, aneurysm in my heart or anxiety in my tummy. He's learned to stare at the people next to him in the promises of the gospel and see what they are going to be together forever. The person I'm talking to is not a road bump on my way to happiness, but is someone who I will be, is eternal, is important, will be together forever. My friends, we need to learn to see ourselves and each other through that promise of the gospel. Uh, Because while it won't make the problems easier, Right? Paul talks about tears, right? The apostle cries, we cry. But it will make our commitment to minister to each other stronger because we'll be looking at each other uh, through 
the eternity of Christ. Seeing our perfect unity by faith and going, this is what we can be. This is what we will be. And that will help us not lose heart because we'll be able to look at each other through the glorious promises of Jesus. That's what Paul does here. The sermon is getting long. Uh, I want to get to our last point, which is seeing the glory of what Jesus is giving us now. And uh, I'll, I'll look at his Paul's statement in verse 5 that God has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So here's what a guarantee is. It's something you get to keep if I don't keep my promise. Uh, the word we use today is closer to collateral, right? Which is the thing you give a lender, which they get to keep, uh, which is the thing you give a lender, which they get to keep if you don't pay back your debt, right? What God is saying here is that the Holy Spirit is the collateral of his promise to us that we will be with him in glory, which means two things. The first thing is, is that if God doesn't keep his promise to give us resurrected glory, we still get to keep the Holy Spirit. And if you're paying attention to Trinitarian theology, since the Holy Spirit is God himself, that means that we still get to keep God. So the whole point is, we will never be without a relationship with Jesus ever. It is impossible for God to renege on his promise because no matter what happens, we get him. We get Jesus. And so what Paul has learned to see then is that Jesus is with him, uh, that he is never without him. And that's the, the second thing the guarantee of the Holy Spirit means. So through prayer and the scriptures and through the saints, through the Christians who prayed and read the scriptures with him, Paul learned to see Jesus' presence, the Holy Spirit's presence in his life. He's learned to see him with him. He's with him in jail and on the road. When he's praying and preaching and eating, Paul learned, like the psalmist learned, that Jesus is with him and that Jesus is with his people. Paul learned that even though not everyone is as spiritually mature in the ways that we want them to be, that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't there. Again, through prayer and the Bible and the people pray, Paul prayed and read the Bible with, he learned to see the presence of Jesus in the lives of those around him and to act on the promise of the Spirit as a guarantee in the lives of his people. And he learned to stare at the Spirit while he ministered with them. So he could say, Jesus is with you. He's working in you. He's in me. He's working in me. We need to learn to pray, to ask Jesus to show us where he is at work in us and in those we live with in the church. Because that's how we learn to stare at Jesus' presence with us now and learn also to stare at what Jesus is giving us now so that we don't lose heart. But instead can continue ministering in his name, showing Jesus to each other until the day he calls us home. I realize we didn't talk about verses 9 and 10, which is uh, where I'm going to, where I wanted to talk about the inner dialogue I mentioned at the beginning. I'm going to pick those up next week for today. Let's just close with this. Let's commit to looking at Jesus' promises to us, to staring at his presence among us. Let's commit to praying that Jesus would help us see him and not lose heart because 
We have the Spirit as a guarantee. I have Him. You have Him. And so we know Jesus is always with us. And He is preparing for us glory, not just as individual bodies, but as a community together in wholeness that is good and very good. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the promises of your grace, uh, which empowers our life with you. Uh, Please help us to look intently at your promises of our resurrection and of our glorified life together. Please help us to see and then to stare at the presence of your spirit in our lives and in the lives of your people so that we would not lose heart, but would with joy uh, endure the ministry of showing Jesus to each other and of bearing witness about his gospel to the world. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.